Happy Father's Day. I'm here today because nothing says Father's Day quite like a menopausal spinster. <laughs> but maybe I should just pray. Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity and I pray that I will speak appropriate words that will penetrate hearts, Lord, transform lives as they're carried by you, Holy Spirit, into the people who are here in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to talk about corporate worship. Well, what is corporate worship? Well, this is it. This is us here now. We're together here because of Jesus, and that in itself is corporate worship. But a good introduction to it is also the first two words of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 9, where it simply says, Our Father. It's a relationship. Our. It's us. It, it's, it's not one. It can be one, but it's our Father. This is what Jesus asked us to pray. So he wanted us to be together. And Father, because it's a relationship, it's a family, it's, it's intimate, it's not just a gathering. It's something way more than that. It's between the creator and the created, which is pretty amazing when you think about it. And thanks to the incredible sacrifice of Jesus, as Ralph said through the communion message, we're enter into that really intimate place. So it's us, because throughout that Sermon on the Mount where Jesus spoke, the word you, when he speaks you, it's plural. It's like the Australian yous. It's us, it's you. There's only two places in the Sermon on the Mount, on the Mount where he speaks in the singular, and that's in the go into your closet and pray privately. And when you fast, don't boast, don't look like you're fasting. So they're the two places, but everywhere else, it's plural. Hebrews, as Ralph stole, <laughs> just tells us more. It says, let us not give up giving up... See, I can't even read it now. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. So that's just a short part of it. In this, Paul, or whoever wrote Hebrews, tells us what not to do and what to do. And what not to do is don't give up. Don't give up. Don't neglect meeting together. Now, he obviously says that because we can. We can easily go, nah, got a sore hip. Too tired. Got too much on. But he also tells us what we can do, what to do. And he says, let's encourage one another, spur one another on. Because we not only need to get ourselves here, which is hard enough, we also need to encourage one another to come and keep coming together because there's something really special about it. The world knows the sense of the power and the miraculous in unity, in a community. Think about it. If you've ever been in a situation with a group of people or a small community and experienced something out of the ordinary, there's a, there's a link there with those people. You've experienced together. I mean, even if it's just a music concert, there's a, 
spirit of unity that you've experienced it together. And it's quite awesome. It has the ability to create a closeness between those people, a, a, a unity that is not felt anywhere else, whether it's in a, um, a terrible tragedy like a terrorist attack or a car accident, pile-up, or, you know, horrible things, but also wonderful things. There's that experience, shared experience, that, that is a link. Um, they're linked from that point onwards. I mean, some people, like the Bali bombings, they get together every single year from this awful, awful tragedy because of the closeness of this incident. And they, every year, every anniversary, they get together. And, and that happens all around. There are people who gather together for all sorts of reasons. So it's pretty powerful stuff. So how much more when we experience God together? I mean, that's got to be more than just what the world experiences in an extraordinary situation. So when we get together, and we get together often in worship... That's pretty incredible. But worship's quite a serious business. It's not all frivolous and fun, like I might want it to be. Um, worship is serious. As in Psalm 96, verse 6 says, Worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. So that's some pretty heavy respect, honour and reverence. David Mathis, an executive editor of DesiringGod.org website, he states, I want to speak up on behalf of one weekly habit that is utterly essential to any healthy, life-giving, joy-producing Christian walk, corporate worship. In fact, I do not think it is too strong to call corporate worship the single most important habit of the Christian life. It combines all three essential principles of God's ongoing grace for the Christian life. Hearing his voice through his word, having his ear in prayer, and belonging to his body in fellowship. So that's what we get when we gather. It's interesting because the word worship, the origin, it never came into prominence until the 1300s. It didn't exist prior to that. It's a contraction of two words, worth and ship. Ship being the suffix that just states and indicates the condition or the state of the word, such as lordship, friendship. But worth, worth gives value. It means to ascribe or declare the worth or value of something that is being honoured. To worship is to lift up God to declare his value and to place your life under his lordship. But there are 11 Greek words in the New Testament and, and variations of this word that are translated to worship. 11. But the definition of all of them in one sense is reverencing God, bowing down to God in reverence, and the feeling of awe-inspired devotion, awe-inspired service, and works or deeds. So what we have here is worship is an action word as well as a response to God. We can feel it, but we may not necessarily feel it. It's just an action word in some respects. The Vines Expository Dictionary also explains that 
the worship of God is nowhere defined in the scriptures. But clearly, it is not confined to praise. It may be regarded as broadly as the direct acknowledgement to God of his nature, his attributes, his ways and his claims. Whether by outgoing expression of the heart and praises and thanksgiving, or inward devotion by deed and service. Either way, worship is the full surrender of ourselves to God. And the quality of your private worship can in part determine the quality of corporate worship. Such as raising arms, you know? If we raise arms, that's full surrender. That's, you know, that's the unequivocal surrender in most Western movies. It's also the unequivocal surrender of ourselves in worship. So that's one expression. One of my favourite verses in the Bible is in the last verse of the last psalm. Psalm 150, verse 6, which simply says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So if you've got breath, please do it. Now, why? Why is it we and the entire creation, why, why is it the word to praise the Lord? Why is it where to worship? It's because that's what we were created for. We were created to worship him. We were created to have that relationship of him and us together and of one another. It's, it's, a, it's a way of life. Jesus' life epitomised worship. He did everything that, that the Father said and nothing out of his own will. And there are many different ways to worship. And do you know that there are 58 worship voices, different worship voices that God can no longer hear from Australia? 58 praise and worship expressions, unique expressions that are no more. 24 bird species, seven frog species, 27 mammal species. They're extinct. And there are so many more worldwide. Everything that has breath, praise the Lord. In Isaiah 44, 23, it reads, Shout aloud, O earth beneath, Burst into song, you mountains, you forests, and all you trees. And just a few psalms I won't specify. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. The meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and all that move in them. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise and worship. It's life. It's just part of life. So can you think of any other examples of worship apart from song? Any ideas, anyone? This, is a, this isn't rhetorical. You get to speak back to me. Painting. Artwork. Artwork painting. Yep, that's great. We've seen you in action. Yes, photography. You could have yelled that out. And you. And you. Preaching uh, casts. <laughs> what else? What else is? Giving. Giving. That's a huge one, isn't it? 
it's probably one of the most um, underrated of the practices of worship, definitely. If Claire were here, she'd take dance? Yes. Be brilliant, that. She could even do one. Anyone else? What about encouragement? Yeah, yeah. Well, when you look at the gifts of the Spirit, that all adds to our worship, doesn't it? So even just a nature walk could be an act of worship if you didn't... If you, if you saw everything through God and because of God. Okay? So the church, the church is to worship. The church is united to worship, but not uniform. It's diversity and choice that are unique components to a church community. And worship expresses that. For example, like Claire, in 2 Samuel, David, wearing an ephod of priest's vest, vest, danced before the Lord with all his might, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. In Luke, Jesus went to Nazareth, where he was brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. In Acts, this is a good one for Paul, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them. All that, there, all that were there were no... And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Can you imagine that in this day and age? Maybe not in this country, but you never know. There is one body, this is Ephesians 4, one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and through all. We will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. As each part does its work. Now, there's a story about a village in France, I think, and in this village they grow grapes and produce wine. That's what they do. This may or may not be a real... This may or may not be real, this story. Never let the truth get away with the story. <laughs> exactly right. So what happens in this village is that every time someone retires, they have a huge communal party. Everyone in the village is invited. It's in the streets and it goes on all night. And what they do is they get these massive barrels and every person in that village brings along wine, bottles of wine, and pours them into the barrel so that the people who are retiring, the person who's retiring, has enough wine for the rest of his life. <laughs> They're French. So they had their party for this guy who was retiring. The party went on and on and everyone came and, you know, poured their bottles of wine into the barrels except for one couple. Now, I don't know why, 
but they didn't give him wine. They said to one another, I can't afford it, I don't want to do it. Whatever they said, they gave a bottle of water. They thought no one will know. Those huge barrels, all that wine, no one will ever know. We'll just pour in a bottle of water. So they did. Party went on, ended. The barrels were taken to the retirees' home and set up and they had little taps at the base. So the next day when he was organising his meal, set it on the table, he went over to the barrel, turned on the tap, poured a glass of water. Everybody had the same thought. No one will know if I don't do my part. Okay, so corporate worship, the one in the many is really important as each part does its work. Got another story. C.S. Lewis. This one's true. C.S. Lewis. Oh, the other one was just a painter. C.S. Lewis had a group of extremely close male friends. There were three of them. Jack, Ronald and Charlie. C.S. Lewis's Jack. And, and they used to get together every week without fail and talk, chew on the scriptures, chew on philosophies of life, talk about everything. And then one day Charles died and it was just the two of them. It was just Ronald and Jack. And Jack thought after the grief and through the grief, he thought, well, one good thing is Ronald will, and I will have more of one another to share with one another. We don't have to share ourselves with Charles anymore. But then as he pondered on it more, God opened his mind and said, no, you'll actually have less of one another because the part of you that Charles brought out will no longer come out. And the part of Ronald that Charles brought out will no longer come out. So there'll be less of you for one another, which is a really interesting thing to think about. Tim Keller says, no one human being can draw out the entire personality of a person. You can only know someone completely in a community, in an intimate community. But if that's true of a finite human being, how much more should that be of God? And the more diverse the community in gender, age, race and ethnicity, the greater the worship, the more facets of God we see. Diversity begins with individuals coming together for one purpose, Jesus, not water, Jesus. With the many, individuals need to exhibit at least these three things, responsibility, commitment, and sacrifice. The responsibility of the villagers in that story was to sacrifice a bottle of wine and they had to commit to that. One didn't, well, so they thought, just one. Everyone thought one didn't, and it was everybody who didn't. So if we take our responsibility, our individual responsibility and commitment and sacrifice seriously, we're going to have a lot of wine. C.S. Lewis, another quote, said, We should and must worship God. It is through worship God communicates his presence to us. It is in the worship of him we, that we complete ourselves. Our souls find their highest potential as we pour out our hearts in worship and adoration. 
worship is inner health made audible. To fully worship God, it takes all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our minds, and all of our bodies together. And transformation, true transformation, only occurs in his presence. And I know this firsthand. I cried. Well, I sobbed, actually. I sobbed for years and years throughout worship services when I first became a Christian. I had so much brokenness into me that needed healing, that every week it was just another layer. And I thought it would never stop. Thankfully, it slowed down. But I am so grateful. I am so grateful to the people I worshipped with because they created the environment, the atmosphere. They created it that enabled me to meet with God and be healed. Without them, it wouldn't have happened. It was deep inner healing, spiritual surgery. It was exhausting and it was beautiful and it was truly life-changing. And it only occurred when we gathered as a church and worshipped, where I was known and loved. And as it happens, it's happened here too, since we've started Village. This is a place of love, of worship, of commitment, family and of deep healing. And I thank you for that, I really do. So never think you're not part of the great and deep works of God. You are a part of people's lives and God's life because of this community. You are so important. You are so, so important. Just by turning up, being here, loving one another and loving God. So, Sam, let's worship God. <laughs>